Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today, on the day of our uh, Thanksgiving feast, I'm excited to take us into a new series we've been talking about. It'll take us into probably the middle of December before Christmas, calling it Thanksgiving in the Psalms. Pastor Chase is going to continue on next week and do a great job. Uh, This morning, we are talking about what it means to have something better. Of course, this is something that all of us are looking for in our lives, in most cases, to be better, to have something better. We're all looking for something that's an improvement over what we expected. That's what it means to be better, right? Something we love to endlessly talk about if we are sports fans is which team is better. I happen to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I haven't switched my mugs out yet from my Dodgers mug to my Steelers mug. I need to do that. The Steelers are 6-3, if you didn't know that. Information you didn't think you'd find out at church. But they're 6-3, and and they are better than I thought they would be. Especially since they lost 30-7 to to the 49ers in the first week. (laughs) It's like they're not going to be very good. A lot of us, when it comes to sports, we've been talking about, if you follow Boise State, which quarterback is better doesn't matter now because one of them blew out his knee. So, Something that really makes some of you tick is a deal that is better. Who in here likes a better deal? Just like the deal, right? In fact, some of you might just buy something you don't need just because it is a better deal. Getting into someone's personal life right now, right? Sometimes this happens occasionally in our house with groceries. My wife loves a deal as much or more than any of you. And uh, sometimes we'll end up with something we don't really like or need that much just because the deal is better. In fact, I've had the conversations with my wife before about making a decision on something we need to buy. And she, like some of you, she's not looking for the best solution to the problem. She's looking for the best deal. This sort of takes care of what we need, but it's the best deal. Those of you that have come home from Costco with a box of 500 things of peanut butter crackers that's going to last you till the uh, nuclear war comes, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just want the better deal. Oh, man, I can't resist. It's such a good deal. Some of you that had, uh, you know, 24 cases of toilet paper in your house when COVID happened, you're like, I told you the better deal was a good plan. I guess that almost all of us, we wake up each day and there's something that we are hoping to be better at. Hoping to be better at our job or maybe if you're uh, young and you do this kind of thing, you like to be better at some kind of sport or a skill like an instrument. Something I personally want to be, I want to be a better husband, a better father each day. It's a goal of mine. I know that I can't be perfect and I won't be perfect, uh, but with the Lord's help, I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. In this psalm we're going to be looking at today, uh, Psalm chapter 84, we're talking about something that is better. You can turn your Bibles there if you want to. We see the idea here, the main idea of it is that it's better to be in the presence of God than it is to be anywhere else. There's many things that are going to enhance the quality of our lives on this earth. And to be honest, most of them are preferences, right? These are preferences. Coke is better than Pepsi. Thank you. Chevy is better than Ford or Dodge. I knew I was going to get some different ones there. Apple is better than Windows, right? We could go on and on. You'll notice I put the ones that I think are better first. That's just a clue in there. 
These are all subjective, right? Subjective means that they're opinions. They're things that I think that you don't necessarily have to think. doesn't matter whether, it's not going to affect whether you go to heaven or not, whether or not you like Coke or Pepsi better, but we all know the Coke people are getting in first. It's a joke. It's a joke. That's definitely not, that's not in Psalm chapter 84. Don't say it was. <laughs> Those are all subjective. Those are opinions. But this idea that I think is on the screen there, that it's better to be in the presence of God than any other place. What the Bible tells us, what I believe, what I've seen in my life, is that it is objectively true. That means it's a fact. As we prepare to read Psalm 84 uh, here in a moment, it's really worth noting this was not one of the ones written by David, as many of the Psalms are. That's what most of us know about the Psalms, is David wrote them. Well, there's several he didn't write. This one is attributed to the sons of Korah. They have an interesting story. But they were with David during his military campaigns. But they were also the leaders of the music uh, within his group and in the tabernacle of God. So it makes sense. A lot of the most poetic psalms are attributed to them. So let's read this one this morning, Psalm 84. You're going to recognize that. I can almost guarantee it. It's about how it's better to be in the presence of God than anywhere else. Psalm 84, 1 through 12, I'm reading to you this morning out of the NIV. It says this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength and each appear, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I told you you were going to recognize part of it. Well, we can see as we break this up into sections a little bit, what we see in this first few verses is this. It is better when the heart and the body are together. Verse 1 that we just read, it sets the theme for the entire chapter today. Verse 1, it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. When we hear that word lovely, we might think of a place uh, that's lovely or a work of art uh, that is lovely. I don't happen to think any art is lovely. It's all kind of boring. Tomorrow, uh, Christina and I, like I mentioned, we're headed to Hawaii, which is a very beautiful, lovely place. For me, the most lovely thing, though, would be to lay my eyes on my wife and my boys. My heart is set on seeing them. They've been gone since 5.30 Monday morning. We got the boys up at like 4.40, took them to the airport, uh, dropped them off. Uh, it's been six days. It'll be seven by tomorrow when I see them. Longest by away as I've ever been away from Chandra and for sure the boys. Find my iPhone says, if I was to take it out, it says they're 2,793 miles away. And I'll gladly travel 2,793 miles to get to be where they are. But what Psalms wants to tell us first in Psalm 84 is that the most lovely place we can find is not a physical location, but wherever God's 
presence is. As humans, a lot of times, we spend the entirety of our lives trying to get to more beautiful places. But what the son of Korah is telling us is the most beautiful place to dwell is wherever God is. It's not based on location, it's based on where God is. The reason the psalmist says this is because he has realized that God's presence, when you find it, it turns obstacles into straight paths. Some of you are like, that sounds really nice, a straight path and not having obstacles. Well, this is how you find it, God's presence. It turns captivity into freedom. And indeed, this morning, this first time you're hearing this, God's presence turns death into life. When our heart dwells with God, when it finds God, all of those things, straight paths, freedom, life, all of those things are available to us. And that last word in verse 1, almighty, I think in the NIV is what it was, it's a declaration of strength. We're going to see it. This expression is used several times throughout Psalm 84. And the NLT uh, actually translates it into what I think is a little better way. It makes more sense to me. NLT in verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. You see, it's really lovely to be in God's presence because the strength of God's heavenly army comes with him. He's almighty, but his heavenly armies come with him. Verse 2 kind of gets to where our point was, is that is that it's necessary that not just our heart and soul long to find God, but our physical body as well. And I believe the reason the psalmist puts this in here is because uh, having one without the other, it doesn't get us very far. Here's what I mean. If we decide to give our heart to Jesus, but we continue to just take sinful action with our body, then we only get half the equation. And if we physically take ourselves to church every time the doors are open, but we never allow Jesus to change our hearts, then again, we've only got half the equation. We need the heart and the soul and the body. When we have a deep longing for the presence of God, it shows in our heart and our soul and in our physical body. Verse 3 uh, takes us even farther. It speaks of being physically near God's house. The sparrow, which is mentioned here because it's just a common bird, it sets an example because the sparrow can make its home wherever it pleases. What the psalmist was referring to is that the sparrow, it could decide to just simply build its nest next to the tabernacle where God's presence is, next to the altar of the Lord, it says. The psalmist is kind of even wishing they could do the same. Boy, I wish I could just move my house to right where the presence of the Lord is all the time. And the son of Korah that's writing this down, he even says the sparrow is near the Lord Almighty. Like we just said, Lord Almighty actually uh, can be translated Lord of Heaven's armies. The sparrow can just decide to go build its house near the Lord of Heaven's armies. Verse 4, the psalmist goes on to connect the sparrow's actions to his own, saying that anyone who dwells in the house of the Lord is blessed. Because in the house of the Lord, they're continually doing what we did this morning. They're continually giving praise and honor to God. Even in the Old Testament, they knew, though, in the Old Testament, they did have a tabernacle and a temple where the ark was kept. Even in the Old Testament, though, they knew that the presence of God is not confined to a specific Location. We're talking about going to the house of God, but the presence of God is not confined to a specific location. I have a couple of scriptures for you here. You don't have to look them up. I think I have them on the screen, but Solomon said in 1 Kings when dedicating the temple, but will God really dwell on earth? 
The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less the temple that I have built. The prophet Isaiah would develop that thought even more in Isaiah chapter 66. He said, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they come into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. The last part's really important because it doesn't say these are the ones I look on with favor, the ones who go to the specific building that I told them to go to. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. See, friends, what we're getting at here is that because God dwells in us when we call on his name like we have today, when we are humble and we are contrite toward him in our hearts. And also what verse 4 says is when we love the word that he has sent to us. And everything is better when our heart and our body are together. Everything's better when our heart and our body are together. We see in this next section something that I believe is really meaningful to me. I hope it is to you. Number two, even the valley is better when we dwell with God. Even the worst place is better when we dwell with God. We just finished talking about the part that is easy. All of what we just said is true. Everything is better when our heart and our soul and our body dwell in God's presence. That's all true. But I have a question. What happens when we are moving towards God's presence, towards what we believe he has for us, but we end up stuck in the valley? You're like, I'm going to the mountain of the Lord. This is going to be great. But it just seems to be getting farther and farther away. Look at verse 5 again really quick with me. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose, heart, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. What the psalmist is talking about here when they talk about a pilgrimage is a journey, <clears throat> a journey towards Jerusalem, to where the tabernacle or the tent would have been located, the tent of the meeting. And he's talking about someone who is on a journey towards where God is. As far as they understood it, they needed to journey towards Jerusalem where God was. And we see in verse 5 uh, that there is joy that comes on the journey when we are moving towards God. No matter what the journey is looking like, no matter how it is, there's joy that comes on the journey when we are moving towards God. If we're not moving towards God, the journey oftentimes is not that fun. And one thing that happens when we decide we're going to actively move towards God is that we begin to find our strength in him instead of the things of the world. Friends, we can look inwardly at our lives and we can know whether we're moving towards God or whether we're not by deciding, by looking at what we find our strength in. Blessed are those whose strength is in God, it says there. Seems like a really obvious thing to say, but where we live and often in our lives uh, here in the United States, we're so privileged and blessed that there are many things in which we can choose to find our strength. In the United States, especially in Idaho, uh, there's a reason everyone's moving here. We enjoy a wonderful quality of life. And we can choose, as people who live in the United States, free citizens, people who live in Idaho, we can choose to find our strength in a myriad of other things. We can choose to find our strength in a beautiful house or a fancy vehicle or trip or nature or find it in music or a TV show. We can choose to find our strength in those things. 
And here's the thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. God either created all of those or he created the people that made those. The problem comes and we begin to draw our strength from them. And those other parts of the world where they are less fortunate. There's not much else to draw strength from, so the choice is a little less muddled. You either draw strength from God or you don't have any strength. There's believers in Ukraine today. There's believers in the middle of Hamas, in Palestine, and all that stuff today. They don't have any choice but to draw their strength from God. There's no comfort in a fancy vacation. Here in the United States, the choice can be a little more muddy. You see, where we find our strength, it lets us know what we are journeying towards. I can look at my life, I can look at John's life and say, where I find my strength is what I'm journeying towards. Is all of our energy, this is the question we ask, is all of our energy taking us toward the thing of the world and things of the world and maybe we get God's presence thrown in? Or is all of our energy set on finding the strength of Jesus and we allow God to bring us whatever blessing he sees fit? George Wood, he was superintendent of the Assemblies of God for a long time in his book. Uh, it's called A Psalm in Your Heart where he has a devotion on each psalm. It says of this verse, Psalm 84, 5, he says this, your stamina is not enough, you need his. Our stamina is not enough, we need God's stamina. You see, if we're able to find our strength in what God has for us, then it enables these next two verses to be true in our lives. Verses 6 and 7, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I don't know about you, but uh, what is written down here in verse 6, it seems kind of crazy. Whichever son of Korah wrote this down, he must have like had a short night the night before, not been thinking straight to write this. Maybe he didn't get enough to eat before he wrote it down. Because essentially he is saying there's so much joy in the destination in God's presence that there is celebration even in the valley, even in the worst times. Celebration even in the hard times. Now, if you are not a believer, you're hearing this and you don't believe in Jesus, uh, I'm sure that sounds kind of crazy. I am a believer. I pastor a church, and it sounds kind of crazy to me sometimes. If I'm honest. The psalmist talks about in verse 6 about the valley of Baca. The Hebrew word that it's translated from is Baca just with an H, one more letter. And the Hebrew word means weep, to weep, and it was probably an actual place near Jerusalem. There was a place near Jerusalem on the journey called the valley of weeping. And it was a waterless valley, an arid waterless valley you'd have to go through on your way after you had been traveling for a while. So after you'd been traveling for a long time, you run into this place that's dry and hot and there's no water. Basically, if you were on a long journey without water you know, with you all the time, then it's the last kind of place you'd want to encounter. And what we should take it to mean as far as our journey as believers, friends, it's called the Valley of Weeping, right? In a place of weeping, it, it is a place of weeping and sadness. In the place of weeping and sadness. This delusional son of Korah, for some reason, he writes that even that place will become a refreshing spring, the NLT says. This was the kind of place on the journey where you'd start to think thoughts that don't seem real rational. 
I'm sure you've been in places in your life like that. I sure have where I started thinking things that just are not rational. Man, I never should have come on this journey. I was foolish to think I could do this. What was I thinking? Maybe they're thinking Jerusalem is not as good as everyone says it is. Maybe I should just turn back. This whole thing, not worth the struggle. That's what they'd have been thinking on the physical journey. We've all been there in our lives where the journey seems long and there are tears. We're in the valley of tears, the valley of weeping. And we start to think things like, you know, when I started this journey with these people or whatever, this is not what I signed up for. Lord, I don't know if you remember what I wrote down when I signed on the dotted line, but this is not what I signed up for. This physical pain that I'm in, this was not in the contract And I'd like my contract to be rewritten, Lord. Please thank you very much. Man, I don't see the point of continuing. My family would be better off if we just gave in and we just went the way of the world, went along with everyone. Maybe my family would be better off without me. Man, this addiction that I struggle with and I put my hands around its neck every single day, it seems too hard to overcome. God would never intend for me to feel this way. This is too hard. These are the kind of irrational things that we start to think when we're in the valley of weeping. What I love is it says that those who walk through it, whose strength comes from God, somehow, someway, they make it a place of springs. God sends the rain when the tears begin to come. He sends the rain so much that when he is done, there's a pool in the middle of the desert. I've experienced it in my life and my 44 years. I'm sure those that have lived longer than me in this place can tell you stories of God's faithfulness when they're in the valley of weeping, in the valley of tears, and God comes and he floods it with his presence. The key, friends, is that we must have more focus on God's faithfulness than we do in our current situation. We'll let that sink into you for a moment. Because when I typed that earlier this week, I I had to let it sink in. I need to have more focus on God's faithfulness than I have in my current situation. When you say that, uh, it can sound kind of trite. Well, trust in God's faithfulness. Well, that does not change the hard thing that's in front of me. We're not saying that tough times don't take their toll on us or even that tough times don't change us. I heard in this song by uh, Toby Mac this week, if you don't know his story, uh, he had a son, a uh, teenage son that passed away. He's got another son that's uh, physically handicapped. And he has a song this week, I heard it said, I may never be the same man, but I still believe. Friends, we're not saying in this church today, we're not saying the hard times don't take their toll. Or even that we aren't different than we were before when we go through those times. We're just saying that Regardless, our faithfulness in God remains, and our faithfulness in God is what we trust in, not the situation. And if we can somehow manage to remain focused on God each day, then instead of wallowing in our struggles, and if we're honest, right, wallowing in our struggles, that's a temptation we all have when we've had a string of rough days. You know what? It's been a few days. Would you just leave me alone? I want to think about how bad I have it. Don't talk to me right now. we can do that, we can focus on God each day, then we're able to go from one strength to another, as verse 7 says there. I love that language, one strength to another, from strength to strength. 
The question is, okay, how do we do it? Because we're all going to go through the valley. If you have not experienced a severe valley in your life, I always say, if you haven't experienced one, you will. That's life. In this life, we will have trouble, Jesus says. But what I have seen, what my experience is that when we start to struggle, we pull away from the things of God. For some reason, it's human nature. When we start to struggle, we pull away from the things of God. But the way that we bring rain in the dry valley is to rely more on the things of God and not less on the things of God. The way to bring rain, friends, in the dry valley is to rely more on the things of God and not less. If you are one person whose natural inclination is to be alone when you are struggling, I understand, and I am not speaking less of you. I am you. When I'm struggling, man, I just want to be by myself a little bit. And I would say uh, that's most of us, and at some point, it's, it's definitely my first impulse. But I'm telling you that in a practical sense, being by yourself, pulling away from the things of God, from God's people, it's not what's best for you when you're struggling. What the psalm tells us and what practical experience in my own life tells me is that when I am in the valley, I need to worship more and not less. Now, some of you may be in this place like me, and you may love music, and you may have music on in your life uh, every single moment you are able. Every important moment of your life, there is a soundtrack to it. That's how my mind works, my heart works, my life works. Um, but there are times in my life when uh, even good music that is by believers, uh, people who are Christians, is positive. If it's not worship music, I sometimes will make a choice where, you know, for this little while, I'm only going to listen to worship music. I won't listen to the radio. I don't listen to the radio much anyway, but just purposely choose the worship music that I know and love that is meaningful to me, that connects me with the heart of God. Some of our inclinations sometimes, though, is when we're struggling, what we go do is we listen to the angriest, saddest thing we can find. But we need to worship more, not less. I need, when I'm struggling, uh, when you're struggling, we need to meditate on God's word more and not less. When you're struggling, friends, uh, you need to meditate on God's word more. And for some reason, again, sometimes it's the first thing to go. Man, I'm so busy, I don't have time to be reading the Bible. Exactly, you don't have time not to, right? Um, and I can tell you this, though, when I'm sometimes when I'm struggling, so say I am reading through the Bible from cover to cover, which I tend to do, if I am struggling, uh, I really, it's not real helpful for me. I'll just be transparent with you to like open and read about the laws in Leviticus. Like having a tough day, it's not that helpful to open up and read about the sacrifices and the internal organs and exactly how they sacrifice them. It doesn't really speak to me much. Yeah, this is the way it works. You know what's really meaningful to me, and maybe that's why I love speaking about the Psalms sometimes, the Psalms are meaningful to me because of the situations that they wrote them in. And I've been through more than one situation in my life where, um, man, I did not have the strength to do much but read the Psalms each day. Maybe you've been there, right, where you don't have the strength to do much but just meditate on what's true in your heart. But the Word of God is true. And the stuff that's meaningful to you, I encourage you, when you're struggling, when you're in the valley of the weeping, the valley of tears, go back uh, to the parts of the word of God that are meaningful to you. Man, when we are struggling, friends, we need to be around God's people more and not less. 
We need to be in church, friends. We need the fellowship uh, of the family of God. And again, for some reason, when we're struggling, a lot of times, you know, we're like, man, I had a rough day. I need, I can't, I need to be, can't come to church today. I had a rough day. It's actually the opposite. The Bible says do not give up on the habit of meeting together. Friends, uh, you never know when you come to church what God has prepared for you from somebody else that you might miss if you don't go. And I'm not just saying that because I pastor a church. I've just found it to be true my whole life. Finally, friends, if we're going to find joy in the valley of weeping, we need to pray more. Again, sometimes you're, uh, when you go to pray and it's a struggle, sometimes you feel like you're praying the same thing over and over again. That's okay. God hears your heart. Bible even says, New Testament says that Jesus intercedes for us when we don't have the words. We need to pray more, not less. These are the ways, friends, just practical ways that even the valley is better with God. And that's how, instead of becoming stuck in sadness, we go from strength to strength. We see this really small and interesting detail in verses 8 and 9 here. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Once more, the psalmist does what he's been doing throughout this. He calls upon the strength of heaven's armies. This time acknowledging the fact that, hey, God, I know you're with my ancestors. You are the God of Jacob. This just came up today already. And for that reason, the, the psalmist, he believes that God will be with him. There is strength, friends, in a godly legacy. You can take strength in a godly legacy. You can go find those that have come before you if they're still living. And here's the good news. If you don't have a godly legacy, it can start in any generation. And it can be your honor to start it. And that is, man, my encouragement to anyone who's like, boy, my family growing up, uh, my uh, ancestors, what's been passed down to me is not good and not godly. I say, well, I wish it wasn't that way, but you can be the one to start it. What an interesting choice, uh, though, for the one who is journeying through the valley to turn their attention towards praying for somebody else. And even more so, someone who they start talking about here, verses 8 and 9, someone they probably don't know and probably someone they will never meet. Because when the author speaks here about the anointed one, he's talking about his earthly king. In fact, in uh, the NLT version of verse 9, it says, Oh God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. King, our shield. When we pray for our leaders, friends, we are expressing faith that God is in control even of those who have power. Believe it or not, God is in control of those who are in power who you do not like. It's hard to believe, but it's true. In this time, uh, as opposed to the situation we are sometimes in, the assumption probably was that the ruler was a godly person. And if you have godly leadership in your life, I would encourage you to pray for those people. This is something that I personally make it a point to do. Uh, the Assemblies of God, we have a, a network superintendent in Idaho. His name's Pastor Joel Wendland. He's an incredible guy, and I make it a point to pray for him. When it comes to political leaders, friends, because that's where our mind goes, we can take from this and many other scriptures that we should pray for those in authority, no matter who they are. And when we pray for them, we trust God with the outcome, and we take it out of our hands. We transition, transition to these last few verses. These are going to be the ones that might be the most familiar to you. We finally see this morning, number three, it's better in God's presence than anywhere else. 
Get verse 10 uh, with me once more. Mass is so beautiful. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. God's presence is the best place to be. and Time spent there is more valuable than time spent anywhere else. That's what the author is saying here. And that, that's a first line of verse 10, and to me it's one of the most poetic lines in the entire Bible. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. But the second half of the verse, uh, it's really what focuses the concept within our hearts. Because here's the thing, it's really easy for me to stand up here and say, it's really easy for you to say, we'd rather be in God's presence than anywhere else. I would rather be in God's presence than anywhere else. It's easy to say, but this next part says this, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. See that part, it puts some feet to what the psalmist just wrote down. Because that language, dwell in the tents, that's a little bit fuzzy to us. To a lot of you, dwelling in a tent does not sound great at all. So, of course, if I have a choice between standing at a door and dwelling in a tent, I choose standing at the door. NLT, once again, though, helps us understand a little more what the author is expressing, where he's coming from. Verse 10 in the New Living Translation says this. It's beautiful. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God. I'd rather stand at the door in the house of my God than live the good life in a wicked home. You see what this almost is doing, he's, he's putting some action to this. You see, to dwell in the tents, that means in their language that a person is well off. And the reason that the second half of it brings the whole concept home is because now there is action attached to that pretty poetic line in in the first line. Because to be in this time, when they wrote this down, to be a gatekeeper, to be a doorkeeper, that was the lowest job you could have. In a place like that, in a place like the tabernacle or the temple, to open the door for all the people that were coming to worship, that was the lowest job you could have. And if we really have the the better is one day heart that this psalm talks about, if we really have it, if it's true in us, then we would willingly choose the lowest place in God's presence over the highest place anywhere else. If we really have it, we'll choose the lowest place in God's house anywhere else. The question we must ask, we have to ask ourselves is, would we willingly serve everyone else in God's house rather than be served somewhere else? But I willingly serve uh, in God's house as long as God's presence is there. That's the heart that is being expressed here. And that's the heart that we as believers, as Christians, believers in Jesus should look to have. But here's the thing, pursuing God's presence in this way, it has many benefits. Why is it so much better to be in God's house? Well, those answers are contained in these final two verses this morning. Verses uh, 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing. 
Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I'm here to tell you today, friends, it's worth it to pursue God's presence in this way because God is our light and God is our protection. This is why it's worth it to serve God because he's our light and our protection. Sun and light throughout the Bible, they're metaphors for God's restoration all over his word. So when we, in our hearts, we say, better is one day in your courts, God, I will serve as long as your presence is there. Then what God does is he brings his restoration upon us. It's God's promise to you today. When you dwell in his house, he will bring his restoration upon you. And restoration, at some level, at some time, that's what every human heart is longing for. It's what every human heart needs. We need restoration at a very basic level. We all need restoration from sin. We are all sinners. We need to be saved by grace. You've probably walked the road in this place, friends, where you need restoration from addiction. You've probably walked, you might be walking where you need restoration from broken relationships. You know where we find restoration is in God's presence. Not only does God bring restoration, not only is our light, but he is our shield. God is the one who protects us at all times. When we abide in his presence, he goes before and he goes behind and he surrounds us. One more time, in verse 12, the psalmist, he calls on God's strength, strength upon heaven's armies. And he expresses this faith in a, in a final prayer. He says, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Bow your heads and close your eyes today. The question is, as we read this beautiful psalm, where does it leave us today? Well, remember that first part that we read uh, in that first point in Isaiah and 1 Kings. We read about how God's presence was not contained to a building. I'm so thankful for that. The great news this morning is that God's presence, it lives in us. When we choose to find our strength in Jesus, God's presence lives in us. The sun and the shield lives in us. We're proclaiming to God better as one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Finding salvation in Jesus, friends, if you haven't found it, means we can walk into the presence of God each day. And we walk into the presence of God each day when we find him. God in return is our son and he is our shield. And he's our blessing. Man, the church, friends, the physical church, it's a wonderful place. I believe the local church is one of the hopes of the world. We love it when you come here and you worship together with us. And the Bible even tells us to do it. And you might find God here and you might feel him here. But I want you to know today, God wants you to know, his presence is not confined to this property doesn't only stay here. His desire, in fact, it is that it would go with you. In a minute, Pastor Joey's going to lead us in this uh, song that quotes this psalm uh, directly that you're, some of you are going to recognize. But before we do that, I want to make sure we give you a chance to invite Jesus into your life. See, the way that God is our son and shield is he sent his son Jesus to earth. He lived a life with no sin. He died the cross for our sins and he defeated those sins and death and hell by rising from the grave. And God's promise to you today if you accept Jesus into your life put your faith in him. God's promise to you is straight paths and God's promise to you is freedom and God's promise to you is life. Those are waiting for you in Jesus today.
This is not quite the last thing we're going to do, but if you're here today and um, you hear us talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever and the blessing of God being upon you when you accept God's presence into your life. If you're here today and you want to become a Christian, you don't know God, maybe you once did and maybe now you're far from him, or maybe you never have, we just want to give you a chance to accept Christ today. If you want to, we're going to give you a chance to just pray with us in a moment. We won't call you out publicly. But our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And if you're here today, friends, and you need to accept Jesus today, you need to become a Christian, would you just raise your hand in this place so we can know to pray with you, so we can know to agree with you? I thank you for being receptive to what the Lord is saying. In a crowd like this, uh, friends, there's a whole bunch of us uh, that have known Jesus for a while. Uh, but sometimes... It's good to recommit our lives, and uh, we wouldn't dare raise our hand because somebody might see us. So this morning, uh, for those that uh, may have raised their hand, and uh, maybe even those that didn't, we're going to say a prayer, a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me. If you know the Lord today, and you say this prayer, you're just agreeing with those who need to accept him and need to recommit their lives. Uh, and I encourage all of you in this place to repeat this after me. And if you say this prayer and you mean it from the depths of your heart, then the Lord is welcoming you into his kingdom today. Everyone in the place say, Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Today, I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God. You came to earth. You lived a life with no sin. And you died from my sins and you rose today I accept you into my life please walk with me all my days in your name amen amen friends means so be it if you said that this the first time you ever have and you meant it from the bottom of your heart God is renewing you right now he's welcoming you into his presence we're not cut quite done yet because for those of you who said that and maybe as you were praying you felt God renewing and restoring you maybe just when we've read God's words you felt that that whole morning uh, for those of you uh, who just know even though you've known Jesus you need to find your strength in him again we want to give you a chance to do that today so would you stand uh, this morning Pastor Joey is going to lead us in this song that I'm betting a bunch of you are going to recognize uh, I'm just going to have him lead us in it I'm going to come down here and, and sing and worship. If you want to come pray with me, uh, come find me. I'd love to pray with you today. Uh, let's sing together uh, kind of as our closing benediction, and I'll come pray at the end. Better is one day. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.